It's a new week. It's a new me. It's a new you, hopefully. So, I hope that you're doing well. I hope that the the uh, the weekend was an appropriate recharge. We got some good exercise in. Hope you all got some good exercise in. Hope you ate some good good food. Hope you're nice and hydrated. Have you been mineralizing? Well, it is the 17th day of April, 2023. It's a Monday night. We're getting together for our first installment of another week of another week of quite frankly. This is the pre-show. As if you didn't know the routine. If you're new, it's wonderful to have you on. I always love hearing, oh, I've been, I just found you last week. Great. Great. So happy that you found me. Get comfortable. There's plenty of stuff for many, many, many years that you can catch up on in the meantime. So don't worry about that. You can experience it all for the first time at once. Everybody's had to do it gradually. Gradually. But thank you so much for being here. What do we have going on this week? Well, what do we have going on tonight? Well, I, I, there's a couple of things that I wanted to do. I saw this RT article, I'm sure many of you have. Special Service Declassified Guantanamo Court Filings suggests some 9-11 hijackers or CIA agents. We'll read into that a little bit, and then we'll talk about the uh, first proposed 9-11, which was Operation Northwoods. And uh, so, you know, one led me to the other, and then I, I wanted to cap it off with a little bit of media from a podcast appearance that Robert Kennedy Jr. made recently with Aubrey Marcus. He's the guy who founded On It, and he's, they talk about Northwoods in there. So it's an all right. Well, this is a ready-made segment. We'll just slap these three together, and and then maybe take some calls on that. In the second half, I have a. A clip I want to roll from Michael Knowles that I think sets up another blog post that I I had uh, picked up on from a a blog roll that I really like out in New Zealand, and we'll uh, we'll talk about that. That'll be in the second half, and I really hope that we can get some of your calls in too. I'm in some kind of a mood tonight. I don't know what it is. I guess I'm I guess I'm all right, but. Uh, feel just a little flat just gotta say working through a little flatness tonight and um, I I was looking at all the stuff I had in front of me which is you know it's rich material there's plenty to talk about but then I'm saying to myself now let's talk about something else let's go let me find something nostalgic let's talk about some kind of a something let me find something so we'll see if we get pulled off track by something else or if if uh if one of you guys and gals calls in and makes me realize just what the real purpose of the evening was. Sometimes it all comes together in ways that I didn't want, like I didn't want to do something. Like, eh, maybe I should save this for another night. No, no, no we're just going to do it tonight. And then the reason why pops up. Now, I don't know if any of you guys were part of a failed terrorist attack on your own country, but... Um, I, I don't know. <laughs> Maybe it's not that. Hopefully it's not that. All right. April 17th. I got all that out of the way, and here we are. 
Here we are. Who was that? Who's playing Rosemary Clooney? I didn't put that on. What the hell's going on over here? Nothing goes the way you want it to sometimes. Rosemary Clooney just pops up out of nowhere. Starts singing Italian songs to you. But I hope that you're watching wherever you are comfortably. It is on YouTube for the moment. Rumble, Twitch, DLive, Theta, Rockfin. Uh, right now we are doing off-site syndication of the Odyssey. So Odyssey is live right now, but I'm not doing it over here. So I'm not really monitoring the chat room right now, but we just want to make sure that we're it, this all works so that at least we can be live in more places and I can actually take uh, a, a little bit more of the the bandwidth burden off of this com this machine and this connection over here and then we can do more. That would be great. So I hope you're enjoying wherever you are watching. And if it's on demand, then cheers, my friends. Want to start off the week by thanking my wonderful sponsors, especially Blue Monster Prep. I got a email, uh, an email from somebody in the audience who worked with Blue Monster Prep not too long ago. And she emailed me to just gush over Pat and Gina. Say, I just, I couldn't believe it. I know you've been bragging about them for years now, about how great their service is and, and how helpful they are and how much they care. But I just could not believe it. And they sent her all of her... Uh, they sent her a whole bunch of prize gifts, like the the mug and some cedar fire starter stuff and whatever. She said, my official order is still on the way, but they wanted to send this out as me immediately as possible. I said, I told you, they're good people. And they're there providing a service everybody needs right now. Personal preparedness. It's insurance that the government cannot provide, that nobody can provide. So go check them out, bluemonsterprep.com, and also go to quitefrankly.gold and talk to Tony about making your first purchases, no matter how small, in silver and gold, because he now has gold backs from several states, so which means that it makes gold more affordable than you know going out there and spending $500 to $2,000 on a couple of grams of gold to an ounce of gold. Now you can actually get the gold backs uh, it makes it a little bit easier to transact with. Then again, if you want larger stores of value, you can buy bars, and he's got everything you want. So if you're looking for a new supplier for precious metals, I would say check out Tony. I want to bring him back on the show and have some talks with him because he, he is a host himself. So wonderful guy to talk to. That is all found on the affiliates page on quitefrankly.tv. Also, a little thing to remind you about is tonight is Mystery Movie Monday, and it is the final installment of the Daniel Craig Bond series. Tonight is no time to die. And if you've been watching since Casino Royale, all through Spectre last week, then you have got to watch tonight. It is a conclusion, and um, you got to watch it. Because there's a lot of, there's still a lot of Easter eggs in this one biological contaminants things like that a lot of easter eggs so i hope that you're watching that'll probably start around 10 p.m eastern time as it has been for the last few weeks and away we go last night on the the sunday evening the sunday evening programming that i put together on quite frankly tv the feature was frequency with jim caviezel and dennis quaid great movie I, I had not seen that in well over 10 years and such a great movie. So, um, very cozy, especially with the radio aspect and the father-son thing. And 
Yeah, so I hope that you enjoyed that. We had great things going on all throughout the evening. All throughout the evening. Hold on a second. Yo, what's up, Mike? Yeah, I'm here. Okay, hold on a second. I have two, uh, hold on, wait, 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 let me know, wait. Gotcha. Mike's out there by my car, and, um, and I have two new monitors for, <laughs> call me up, I have two new monitors, I have three monitors in front of me, well, the center one and the right one have started to flash, they're old and they're getting shitty, so I had to go buy two new monitors, they just came in, and I forgot to bring them up. So I said, "Listen, call me up when you're here, and I will. Uh, I'll unlock the car, and you can you can just grab them." He said, "You got it, you got it, Jobin." And there it was. There he was. So let's see. I'll have to lock it again in just a little bit, maybe during the intro. All right, let's get kicking. Right into the grab bag we go. Oh, a little bit more upcoming guests on Wednesday is G. Edward Griffin. The OG Edward Griffin. He's going to be on with us for the second time in about six or seven months. And I cannot wait to do some follow-up. Now, here's the thing. If you ever had a really, you know, a really succinct question you wanted to ask somebody who's, you know, who's been doing this longer than most, G. Edward Griffin, get in touch with me on quite frankly podcast at gmail.com and send in any kind of question you'd love to hear him answer it could be current events it could be history it could be specific questions about his career things he did wish he did do didn't do whatever um send it on in because we did a lot more of a, a retrospective with him in his career when he was on the last time and i still want to stay pretty personal with him but you know i would love to get a little bit more of a q a flow with him now and, uh, and and expand on that. So don't be shy. Also, Dr. Albert Taylor, he will be on with us on 420. We'll be talking about remote viewing. It'll be a follow-up to our call that we had with him a couple of years ago. On Wednesday night for Rabbit Hole Wednesday, we will be replaying his previous appearance so you guys can be fresh and you can also come up with any kind of follow-up questions you have that you want to submit last minute to the show. Then on Friday, Shane Cashman, he'll be in. He works over there at TimCast, and he's uh, he's got a new book out, and he does a lot of traveling, doing paranormal investigations and stuff, so he'll be on with me hanging out. And then on fr- Saturday night, I want to just say it again, because we only have one, one person who has put in on this thread so far, and I know that there are more of you out there. I would love to do this for Saturday night, but if we don't have enough, a couple more entries by then I'll have to save it all save it for another day I'll have to save it for another day it is the show thread the night shift paranormal unexplained happenings on duty at night are you a security guard a custodian police officer paramedic a nurse whatever it is did you ever work the night shift and have a paranormal experience that left you creeped out or any experience that left you creeped out. We all want to hear about it. Get in on that. That is pinned. It is uh, stickied to the top of the forum on quitefrankly.tv. You'll see it there. The night shift. I would love to do that this Saturday. We would need at least 7 to 10 entries, entries though. And if not, it's fine. I can always just keep it on ice until we get there. But uh, just putting it out there for you. Also, wanted to say again... 
my episode with uh, Sean that the SGT report came out a couple of days ago, just before the weekend, I think around Friday. And a lot of you have gotten in touch with me and said how much you enjoyed it. I'm glad. I always love hanging out with Sean. He will be on the show. I just put him in for May 3rd. So he'll be coming back on May 3rd. I'm going to start really doing a lot of booking now and get that up and going. All right. Grab bag. First one up is actually from Jay Dyer. This is really nice. You know, every once in a while, Jay Dyer hosts the fourth hour on Alex Jones's show on InfoWars, I believe on Fridays. And he was doing a big Aldous Huxley reveals the globalist Marxist master plan. And that is, of course, a jump into Brave New World, which was he did a redux uh, on Brave New World that we just did for for book club. And he gave, uh, quite frankly, a nice little shout out. Take a listen to this. Talk about um, the most famous dystopian novel next to 1984 which we probably read in high school maybe they don't assign it anymore i don't i don't even know if they still assign brave new world but i went back and i reread brave new world and i know alex talked about it i know tucker talked about it recently he did i think a show on it and i did a whole breakdown uh, on my channel uh, uh, chapter by chapter we did about a five hour breakdown with my buddy uh, quite frankly of quite frankly tv and uh, we went through the entire text and so I'm going to give you that summarized breakdown today because it's such a seminal text, not from, in my view, an, uh, a whistleblower, but from somebody who was on the inside and knew what was coming, knew what was going to be the technocratic order and wrote about it as a kind of psychological operation. His family, everybody's connected to is part of these circles, part of this. Yes, it, was, it, was, it was pretty much an apologetic in many ways. Um, it wasn't a warning. It wasn't a warning, but that was so nice to hear that. And, uh, you know, we take, someone like me takes the, the W's wherever you can get them. I, I like where we're at, but that's, that's just very nice. And, and Jay does great work. But this is also another really, really big reminder that if you have not watched that, if you have not watched that, go and take a look at the entire Brave New World um, breakdowns that we did, the five episodes, five weeks that we did that, read along, you'll understand it, you'll see how important it is, even though it is a dark read, and there's really not a happy ending, uh, but still, you should definitely do that. I have the full video playlist up on YouTube, on the YouTube channel, and also the audio podcast is listed on the SoundCloud, that's where I host the podcast, so enjoy either or because we really did a great job and a reminder jay dyer is going to be coming back for the fall with our book club title the godfather we're going to be reading mario puzo's the godfather together this fall so become a monthly sponsor of the show uh, at any level and you are able to get live access to all those things as they happen so you can be a part of it you can always watch it on demand down the line when I make it public, but it's so much better to be in it. You know what I mean? All right. This one is just going to knock your socks off. It really is. Uh, now, this is from the New York Times. And it's behind, it was behind a paywall, and they do this. But here, here's, the, here's the headline. Ready? There's the front page. How Gay Men Saved Us from Mpox. From Mpox. That's it. And if you're in podcast land right now, it's a picture of uh, three um, not white guys that are together. 
They're all exposing their right arms, and on their right arms, on their shoulders, you have a rainbow vaccine injection site Band-Aid. So, um, and, and what it says, how gay men saved us from monkeypox. Of course, they say M-pox because it's one of the greatest accomplishments out of the whole monkeypox four or five week bullshit uh, charade that they dragged us all through thinking they can they can scare us before they realized up oh, we can't do anything with this I can't get jiggy with this shit the one thing they did do was they changed the name from monkeypox to mpox they did a good thing for everybody but here's what it here's what it was it's behind a paywall now um, and of course that's just because most of the people who still pay for the New York Times are gay liberals and this uh, whole article is just a way of gassing up their heads to make them believe that their um, EDM rave orgies saved the world for some reason. Thank you for going to the orgies that we didn't have to. So we didn't have to. That's what it came down to. Now, if you forgot, if you forgot, monkeypox was a viral infection that they tried to scare everyone with for a few weeks last year until there was no way to hide that it was almost exclusively gay guys and their pets and some children that they're living with. Um, that we're getting this and, um, and, and they, they, the, the White House even hired a satanic gay stripper that is, that is not um, an exaggeration they hired a satanic gay stripper as the monkeypox czar I wonder if he still has a job you don't hear anything about him being let go or anything like that uh, they also pushed a new vaccine I guess that's why these people have their vaccine injection site band-aids on in the, the cover of the New York Times article, a couple of people actually lined up and got injected with a monkeypox vaccine at a moment's notice. And then the WHO changed monkeypox to mpox because using monkey with a virus of African origins was just a little too uncomfortable for these social hypochondriacs. So that was their contribution. That was their contribution to to uh, to medical justice in 2022. Let's change monkeypox to mpox. Mpox. So um, again, another apologetic over here. Now that it's almost been a year later, the the real the distilled message of this New York Times article is that they're sending this out that we should be grateful or gay people, gay guys, they should be proud of themselves for shouldering a completely unnecessary burden. Because we, if they hadn't essentially spread the virus around, we wouldn't have had any other way of knowing that the rest of us were safe from it. <laughs> you see? So this is just, uh, it's just so ridiculous. But this is just, the way it is now it's going to be the way it is don't expect anything better from this than this from the media this is just about as good as it gets at least as far as journalism goes that's the new york times my friends they carried the monkeypox cross for us so we didn't have to what a redemption story thank you so much all right all hell breaks out in chicago as hundreds of teenagers wreak havoc Hundreds of black teenagers were running around uh, for, I don't know why. I was trying to figure out why. Was there, a, was there a police incident or something? And I couldn't find it. 
A trend of lawlessness has unfolded in cities run by progressive leaders this spring. The latest incident occurred on Saturday night in downtown Chicago, where hundreds of teenagers wreaked havoc by smashing car windows and destroying public and private property. They also attempted to enter Millennium Park, which prompted a significant police response. There was even a shooting that resulted in multiple injuries. Fox 32 Chicago reported massive crowds of teenagers that unleashed chaos in downtown district last night. Besides the rogue, uh, rogue kids smashing and breaking anything in their sight, there were reports of shots fired and two teenagers wounded by gunfire near the corners of Madison and Michigan. Even Fox 32 said that the chaos last night was unsafe to keep our news crew in on the scene. There was even footage of kids jumping on top of a bus. Well, that's what they all do. They, they jump on the bus and they twerk. It's like a, I don't know what it is. Um, so, but, but I, I, I'm looking through it, and aside from it just being a Saturday night, I don't know what the hell happened. I just don't know what the hell happened. I saw um, g- gangs of these kids beating up a white woman, I guess just because she's white on a Saturday night. But I don't know. This is the second time this weekend that a group of rowdy teenagers has prompted a police response, the local media pointed out. The culture of lawlessness continues, and it's not even summer. The video is proof of rapid moral decay of the younger generation that has been educated in failed liberal institutions. Meanwhile, Chicago new mayor, Brandon Johnson, is another soft-on-crime progressive who comes after Lori Lightfoot was ejected from office for failing to make the city safer. And what did he say? I don't know. Probably nothing. Uh, but Lori Lightfoot said something. She said something all right. Take a listen to this. Put out a very specific statement. After a morning event at the Chicago Public Library, outgoing Mayor Lori Lightfoot was asked about the Saturday night chaos downtown that led to two people shot, 15 arrested, traffic disrupted, and the CTA suspending service into the loop. Lightfoot says there's lots of opportunity to redirect young people to safe spaces, but scoffed at one reporter describing what happened as, quote, mayhem. And, and here's the thing, the mass majority of the young people that came downtown came downtown because it was a great um, weather and an opportunity to enjoy the city. That's absolutely entirely appropriate. Um, there are a few that came with different intentions, and they have, they have and they will be dealt with. Um, but I'm not going to um, use your language, which I think is um, wrong, uh, to say that it's mayhem. No, it wasn't mayhem. If, if you've seen the, the crowds that were out there just... I, I don't even know what, what it was. It was like the night at Bald Mountain. Night in Bald Mountain, Fantasia, with all the hellhounds running around. And um, and to say that the vast majority of kids that came out were, were just coming out because it's a night's night? That was the vast majority. If this was a small minority, then there must have been 300,000 kids smelling roses in the park a couple of blocks away because there was a massive amount of people in the streets smashing cars and beating each other up and I, I mean I don't know what it was it was just incredible vast majority so I, I mean I just remember when they used to give us pablum about you know there being a civil rights demonstration and they're trying to have their voices heard and all that now they're just settling with it was a warm night in April it was a warm night in April that's that's just it
But the real thing here to remember, ladies and gentlemen, is that yeah, it is it is a uh, it is a failure of every system we have out there. But it's not a deliberate. It's not in a uh, an accident. It is very deliberate, I should say. This is the Illuminati's army. Now it's not a tactical army. This is not a surgical unit that you would send in to do something. It is an unthinking, easily triggered, irrational mob. And and all you have to do is point and click, and they will respond. You know, in the meantime, idle hands at the devil's workshop, they'll do things on their own as well. And, you know, you just have to go in there and say, oh, tut, 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 everybody, it's not that bad. Until, of course, you need them. You point and click again, and away they go, and um, and boom. You have an easily disposable mob to do whatever the hell you want. Especially if your main goal is to gr- to bring nothing but the end of civil- civilization to the table. Then you don't really care about people having decorum or people building community ties or anything like that. You want this to degrade as fast as possible. So um, I, I'm, I don't think I'm reaching. I think this is just the, the phase in which we are uh, living. This is it. This is the phase now. All right, that's it for right now. We will be right back. Don't go anywhere. stand up to us, then they all might stand up. Those puny little ants outnumber us a hundred to one. And if they ever figure that out, there goes our way of life. It's not about food. It's about keeping those ants in line. That's why we're going back. Does anybody else want to stay? Let's ride! was that that was the pre-show this is the grand opening so welcome ladies and gents I hope that you have found a comfy spot to park your ass and if you want to become a part of the show oh that's the other thing speaking of brave new world um, I have decided to wait until Friday you know I say what I'm gonna do just Wednesday or something I'll just give you a whole other week so anybody, if you have not sent over a super chat at quite frankly superchat.com, and it doesn't matter how much, um, just all it takes one to be in the running for this, and I will give it away on Friday, Friday the twenty-first. There you go. There you go. 
Brave New World. The only thing that's missing in this right now is the inscription for whoever the hell wins. Then I'll scribble a little something and, um, oh, I love the way it smells. Don't you love the, 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 the nutty smell of books? Even the ones that get a little musty from a basement. I love it all. I really do. All right, let's see. Now, let's get on into... Oh, you know what? The, the, here's a little throwaway, a throwaway story for you over here. I was like, why the hell is this guy... I saw somebody retweet a relief pitcher that, from the Blue Jays. I said, what? what's going on with this guy? Anthony Bass really embarrassed himself and his family. Blue Jays' Anthony Bass slams United Airlines for making his pregnant wife clean up his kid's mess on, his, on her hands and knees. Blue Jays pitcher Anthony Bass has a bone to pick with United Airlines. Expressing his frustration on Twitter, the 35-year-old Bass alleged that a flight attendant on United Airlines made his pregnant wife get on the floor and pick up the mess made by his two-year-old daughter. Oh, I'm sure she said... Mrs. Bass, we need you to get on the floor on your hands and knees and pick up the... She probably said something like, would you mind uh, helping us clean up after your children? And I saw there's this, there's uh, popcorn all over the place. She's 22 weeks pregnant. She's good enough to fly. She can't, she can't lean over and clean. I, I just don't get this. And he really made, he really made an ass of himself and his family. Even if it was some kind of a, an unsavory thing, an exchange or something, leave it private. The fact that he ran to Twitter, oh my gosh. And and the worst part, it's funny because, you know, I'm a baseball guy, so the first thing I did was I ran to go check out how he was doing this year, and currently he has a 7.11 ERA. And I said, oh, boy, should I make a joke? What should I do? And I said, I just fuck it. Just grab the, grab the, uh, the story, and we'll talk about it on air. And, uh, no more than five or ten minutes later, I saw on Twitter, 7.11 ERA is trending. And everybody starts going after him. He says, don't, people are telling him things like, don't you dare. Don't you dare talk about anybody throwing garbage around when you have a 7.11 ERA. Talk about throwing garbage. <laughs> so Stupid. Stupid. Traveling, he said, my flight attendant, United, just made my 22-year-old pregnant wife, 22-week, I'm sorry, 22-week pregnant wife, traveling with a 5-year-old and a 2-year-old, get on her hands and knees to pick up the popcorn mess made my, my, by my youngest daughter. Are you kidding me? You brought a 5-year-old and a 2-year-old on the plane, and it's just what? Do whatever? The, the, the flight attendants are going to pick it up? What what are you what are you what's your mindset? Bass's wife is Sydney Ray James, who is the sister of Jesse James Decker, the wife of former Jets receiver Eric Decker. Wow. I was your father's cousin's best friend's former roommate. What the hell kind of a <laughs> why even put that in there? Let's do that family tree. Bass's wife is Sidney Ray James, who is the sister of Jesse James Decker, the wife of former Jets wide receiver Eric Decker. Incredible. That must be an amazing Thanksgiving. Most of the respondents on Twitter were not sympathetic to Bass's plight. 
genuinely curious who should clean up the mess your two-year-old made. One person asked in a reply, as a parent of three kids, I'm the one responsible for them. Amen. Bass responded, the cleaning crew they hire. Wow. And he just kept going. He just kept going. What? That's his wife? 20, she is in very good shape. Even at 22 weeks, she should be able to run a marathon. Get out of here. I don't want to get, oh, get out of here, you freak. I can't believe this. Just, why would you do that to your family? Why would you do that to your It's one thing if you're single and you just, you get drawn to Twitter and you make an ass of yourself and all it takes is a week and it's all behind you. But why would you do this? You know? All right. So if you have any opinions on that later on, watch that become the real topic of the show. That's the way it happens. Here is a Citibank executive declaring that we have to win this war in Ukraine because there is a desire to mobilize private capital in Ukraine. So I want you to just really understand what they're talking about. This is everything that John Perkins was talking about in his novels about um, the confessions of an economic hitman. So here you have a bunch of uh, pencil neck bankers who are rooting on the CIA and the Pentagon to go in there and really have now new regime change, only this time they want the Russians kicked out of Ukraine, so they can go in there and develop the land, take its resources, and turn it into something that uh, foreign investors can make some money on. You see, nobody cares about the, the ancient cultures that are out in these places. None. They don't care about the kind of murder that happens every time one section of the country is taken over by another section of the it, 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 nobody gives a shit they're all vultures and you know and we get called unpatriotic and we get called putin stooges and all that stuff because we just don't want anything to do with it because we don't want to be the ones who by the fruits of our labor are funding these murderous campaigns that only these fucks benefit from only these people benefit from. We don't want to have anything to do with it. We don't want to send uh, weapons of war into uh, phony war zones. We don't want to send our kids into war zones to fight. We don't want to do it. Oh, we're, oh we're, well, we're just, uh, we just don't know. We just don't get it, how important this is. I mean, I think that there should, we should come out of this room with a lot of optimism, right? Because we're hearing about all these reforms and preparing for the European Union integration. Um, which is certainly going to address many of the issues we've been talking about for years um, that might have kept people from putting long-term capital into Ukraine. So I think that you said at the very beginning, Secretary, that we have to, you know, we have to, we, we have to win this war. We have to get this resolved. I we have to win this war. A Citibank executive. I didn't know that she's Ukrainian. We have to win this war. I guess it's just to hell with it. It's our war now. I would love to send her. Let's get her in some fatigues. Let's get her. Uh, let's let's get her all 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 uh, all all sauced up. Let's get her some of that super soldier serum that they give everybody, and give her a gun and a helmet. Let's go win that war. I think that there is there is desire to put private capital. We need the we need the enabling capital now. 
but I know even with our own, our, with our own conversations internally in city that, and we do have, um, you know, we do have lines to clients, we do have the ability to keep the business going to a certain extent, and thankfully because of, of the different development organizations that can, can provide some backing in the ECAs, we're gonna need that ECA multilateral development money, but I can't emphasize enough that the behavior and the products that they provide are gonna have to change in order to mobilize the size of private capital that we need. We need to scale this um, at a level that is, we haven't seen in the past. And so this, and I, I, I can't under, underscore, and I know my colleague here agrees with me in terms of some of these reforms and these new products and services that we're going to need to to mobilize the private capital. Yeah, well, I'm, I'm glad they put her right in the center, right in the center of the. It's great. These uh, again, again, these are uh, really methodical evil people. I don't, I, I don't care. I don't care what how you how you see them. These are the types that if they were working in any other, they're so ruthless. These are the ruthless types that can look at, um, I don't know, look at you as if you are a, a rat in a trap. Yeah, drown it. Drown it. Drown, drown the rat. Let's get this out of here. We have, uh, we have to raise some uh, capital and uh, inject some something something and bloobity blue. Commerce Secretary Gina Raimondo said, we have to be in this today, tomorrow, two years, and three years. We're in this for the long run, including reconstruction, which will be a decade in the making. But thankfully, she says the effort will be public-private partnership. The stakes haven't been this high in a long time. We cannot let Russia prevail. And that means we have to be in this... Send her. Send the other girl. I want all the fucking girl bosses in this country to be sent to Ukraine right now. Win the war. Win the war, mighty mouse. Go ahead. Win the war for us, please. Another one. Another one. It is a daisy train of girl bosses. Today, tomorrow, a year, two years, three years. Because... I'll be here. Of course, I'm going to stay here. I'll be here. I have mimosas to drink. Okay, I have I have lunches and brunches and I have sunset cocktails. That's what I have to do. I'll make sure the money's there. But we have cannot let Russia win this war. No, I'm I'm going to be right here. I'll be very comfy cozy and you know, I have st I have status. I I I you know, you know me. <laughs> the repercussions to the world, to democracies everywhere, to freedom, are unimaginable. Oh yeah, what is it? If we allow the Kremlin's efforts to destroy Ukraine to succeed. You know what would happen? You know what would happen for you and I? If, uh, if Russia succeeded out there and took care of their own business 5,000 miles away, especially if there was nobody to report on it, abso-fucking-lutely nothing. 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 Now, because of the lines in the sand that we have drawn and the ways that we have, you know, put a gun to one person's head, a gun to our own head, and we have destroyed our own economy, we're going to feel the repercussions one way or another. But if all things were equal and we didn't play any of this economic warfare nonsense, we weren't blowing up pipelines and all this other shit, if, it, if, if they had just, then again, there would be nothing to be worked out. There would be nothing to work out if it weren't for us. We're the ones that caused all the destabilization out there in the first place. 
And here she is talking about this is a two-year, three-year deal. And then we're going to reconstruct the whole country. You know how many hundreds of billions of dollars that's going to take? If you think the hundred billion plus right now it took us to just... uh, My gosh. And now here comes uh, BlackRock senior advisor says that while it's a big challenge, he's optimistic about enabling Ukraine's ability to build back better. Oh, he, he dropped the Joe Biden line in there, huh? Oh, I'm, I forgot. That was assigned to Joe Biden by the internationalists. So I, I think it's been said. The, the challenge is massive. Uh, um, Secretary Graves just mentioned the World Bank's latest report, $411 billion. That's for the reconstruction. That's up 16... $411 billion for reconstruction. And that's just right now. Remember, these are the people who say, it'll take about a trillion dollars to turn the thermostat on the, on, the, uh, on the planet down. We'll need about a trillion dollars a year for the next 10 years, and we'll be able to turn down the thermostat on the, on the planet. I th- that'll work. They say, oh, only $411 billion to rebuild Ukraine. You know what that's going to turn into? $4 trillion at least. Because the skim, you're not talking, you're not even talking about the skim right now. Nine billion from the fall report. So this is only, you know, what, six months uh, uh, after the fact. And that does not include the challenge or the money required to elevate the economic aspiration of the country, to build back better. Um, things. That the, the $411 billion does not include the money they have to pump into the economy. I guess that means welfare to give everybody money to go out there and spend on the McDonald's and on the, uh, the footlockers they're going to be putting in there? It's like, I'll say this very quick, um, can Ukraine be a green hydrogen hub capturing the benefits of a, an energy uh, generation matrix that is very competitive in this regard? Oh, my gosh. Can you imagine? Can you imagine being a lower to middle class Ukrainian family? Who understands what's good? You may not have any love for the Russians. You may not have any, even have any love for the Russians, but you actually see how all of this could have been avoided. Can you imagine being a, a lower to middle class Ukrainian family who can see how this all could have been avoided? And here you are a year later, hundreds of thousands of people are dead. You're being shelled nonstop. And you have people like this squirrely little bitch, BlackRock, and all of his team of girl bosses behind him on stage talking about how, oh, it's going to be great. We're going to bring them green energy, and they're not going to, you know, no, yeah, it's going to be fantastic. And when we're all done with this, they're going to see it was worth being slaughtered by the hundreds of thousands. It was totally worth it. Now they have green energy. It's green. We turn Ukraine green. They'll, they'll thank us in 20 years. They'll thank us in 20 years. Their, their husbands, their wives, their children, they've all been traumatized, maimed, killed, but they'll thank us. They'll thank us. Deputy Governor of the National Bank of Ukraine tells U.S. Chamber of Commerce representative that Ukraine is ready to build back better to create a business environment that is friendly to private investment. Oh, yes. Ukraine has been wiped clean. Whatever's going to be left of it after it's done because they're not going to beat Russia. And then whatever's going to be left of it is going to be open for private investment. That's right. That's right. 
They bomb you out, and they say, anybody want to come in here? And we have, uh, anybody want to come in here, build a resort, golf club? IBM executive expresses hope that building back better would mean more op- opportunities to sell private-owned banks, including big American banks, rather than just the government entities, which had been, uh, had been most of IBM's clientele in Ukraine before the war. So, man, man, the vultures are circling the carcass. They really are. Um, Now, last week, before we get into this next story, last week I asked the question about European citizens who, you know, it's one thing to to say, well, uh, all of the leadership in Europe obviously is not really pushing back against this. If they know what's going on, especially after this leak from the Discord leaker and all that stuff. Uh, if they know what's been going on, they, they certainly haven't been protesting. With Nord Stream, they haven't been protesting. They've been wondering, hmm, I wonder who can do it. They're on the trail of whoever it is, but they keep spreading around all of the stupidest cover stories that could be published by the Pentagon and elsewhere. And I wondered, well, what are average citizens out there thinking? Well, I got one email from a listener in uh, Cologne, Germany, Says, hi, Frank, about the reaction to the pipeline, most people must have realized, even if it's only on a subconscious level, that they live in a colony of the U.S. and the U.K. They were never free since 1945 and have been subject to a masterly evil brainwashing on all levels. The East Germans have uh, only have lived since 1990 under this influence. That's why they demonstrate and rebel more. Still more and more Germans are waking up to reality and hopefully soon there will be enough decent people who will fill the vacuum when the crash of the dollar ends the occupation and Germany can be free and sovereign for the first time in more than a hundred years. Wish us luck. Mark from Cologne. I do wish you luck. I do wish you luck because um, remember, the people who are holding you as a colony, they are the craziest exes you have ever had. They are the, if I can't have you, nobody will kind of exes. So um, I hope you have an underground bunker somewhere just in case because you just don't know. Anyway, um, Anyway, yeah, let's jump into this now. This was another little interesting thing. came from RT and elsewhere over the weekend. Here is a headline for you. Special service declassified Guantanamo court filing suggests some 9-11 hackers, hijackers, I should say, were CIA agents. What does the intelligence agency have to do with the suicide terrorist attack? An explosive court filing from the Guantanamo Military Commission, a court considering the cases of defendants accused of carrying out the 9-11 terrorist attacks on New York, has seemingly confirmed the unthinkable. The document was originally published via a Guantanamo Bay court docket, but while public, it was completely redacted. Independent researchers obtained an uh, unexperg- uh, unexpurgated copy. So an unredacted copy? It is an account by the commission's lead investigator, DEA veteran Don Canastraro, of his personal probe of potential Saudi government involvement in the 9-11 attacks, conducted at the request of the defendant's lawyers. Two of the hijackers were being closely monitored by the CIA and may, wittingly or not, have been recruited by Langley long before they flew planes into the World Trade Center buildings. The story of the two men. 
of the great many enduring mysteries of 9-11 attacks still unresolved over two decades later. Perhaps the biggest and gravest relate to the activities of Nawat al-Hazmi and Khalid al-Mintarar in the 18 months leading up to the fateful day. The pair traveled to the U.S. on multi-entry visas in January of 2000, despite having repeatedly been flagged by the CIA and NSA previously as likely al-Qaeda terrorists. Mere days before their arrival, they attended an al-Qaeda summit in Kuala Lumpur, during which they detail, the, detail, the key details of the 9-11 attacks are likely to have been discussed and agreed. The meeting was secretly photographed and videotaped by Malaysian authorities at the direct request of the CIA's Alex Station, a special unit set up to track Osama bin Laden, although oddly no audio was captured. It's probably filmed in Virginia. Still, this background should have been sufficient to prevent Hazmi and Amidhar from entering the U.S., or at least enough for the FBI to be informed of their presence in the country. As it was, they were admitted for a six-month period at Los Angeles International Airport without incident, and bureau representatives within Alex Station were blocked from sharing this information with their superiors by the CIA. Here's a quote. We've got to tell the Bureau about this. These guys clearly are bad. One of them, at least, has a multiple entry visa to the U.S. We've got to tell the FBI. Mark Rossini, a member of Alex Station, has recalled discussing with his colleagues. But the CIA said to me, no, it's not the FBI's case, not the FBI's jurisdiction. Immediately upon arrival, Hazmi and Midhar encountered a Saudi national resident uh, residing in California named Omar al-Bayoumi in an airport restaurant. Over the next two weeks, he helped them find an apartment in San Diego, co-signed their lease, gave them $1,500 toward their rent, and introduced them to Anwar Awalaki, an imam at a local mosque. Awalaki was killed in a U.S. drone strike in Yemen in 2011. That was a very, uh, that was a very big one for the destruction of due process. Man, oh man. In the wake of 9-11, Bayoumi unsurprisingly became a subject of interest of an FBI probe of potential Saudi involvement in the attacks known as Operation Encore. In a 2003 interview with the investigators in Riyadh, he claimed his meeting with Hazmi and Midar was a coincidence. He heard them speaking Arabic, realized they couldn't speak English, and decided to assist them out, out of charity. The Bureau reached a very different conclusion. Bayoumi was a... Saudi intelligence operative and part of a wider militant Wahhabist network in the U.S., which handled a myriad of potential and actual terrorists and monitored the activities of anti-Riyadh dissidents abroad. What's more, Encore judged there to be 50-50 chance he had advanced knowledge of the 9-11's attacks before they had happened, and so did the Saudi government. So why was it hidden? Well, that's the real question. That's the real question. For their part, CS2, uh, wait, was it, Canestraro uh, um, does not make any co- uh, conclusions as to why the CIA concealed vital information from the FBI prior to the attacks, which potentially could have prevented their execution, and why the Bureau subsequently played along with the agency's cover-up, although one answer is provided by the unusual nature of Alex Station's setup. Namely, That far from infiltrating an al-Qaeda cell to avert terrorism, the agency was seeking to influence and direct its activities in order to cause terrorism outside standard recruitment channels. Having stumbled upon such a monstrous connivance, the FBI would have known well to leave the entire subject well alone. 
So, I mean, there is, there's a lot of, un, un, this, you can add this to the long list of unanswered questions. Uh, so many people have done great work on this. We know people like our friend uh, Jason Burmis. Um, so many more. I think that the, the work that um, James Corbett has put together on just a list of anomalies, I mean, his work, I, I would say, is really pivotal for anybody to, to take a look at. Puts it all in one place for you. And then the side series of just all of the lower downtown, uh, the, the downtown witnesses uh, though they did side series on keeping up with the air monitoring, people like Christy Whitman and what they did by lying to people about the air quality in lower Manhattan. Yeah, James Corbett's got a lot of great stuff on this. You can add this to the list now. So it brought up a lot of talks, and first of all, popped up with me, Operation Northwoods, because the first proposed you know, 9-11 type of uh, uh, attack was Operation Northwoods to try to be able to instigate a war with Cuba. And that was in March of 1962. Now, here's the thing I don't get. I can't actually, be I can't believe that when this stuff was unclassified, that it actually exists, that they would actually put something like this on paper and, 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 and on file so that one day people could see what was being suggested in official meetings with the President of the United States at the time. Now, here's a little something that was put together by Dr. Paul Craig Roberts in 2020. It's a very short article, but I, what I really wanted to bring up was a, uh, some of the photocopied pages of the unclassified reports. The subject line, Justification for U.S. Military Intervention in Cuba, March 13, 1962. Joint Chiefs of Staff, Considering the Attached Memorandum for the Chief of, uh, of Operations and Cuba Project, which responds to a request of that office for the brief but precise description of pretexts which would provide justification for U.S. military intervention in Cuba. Looking for pretext. Here are some of the things that they were talking about. Blow up. Here are some of the suggestions. They could blow up ammunition inside of the base. This, uh, this is a uh, U.S. base. Burn aircraft on an air base, so pretty much sabotage U.S. aircraft that's on the base at the time. Lob mortar shells from outside of the base onto, uh, the, onto the base. Some damage to the installations could be caused as well. Capture assault teams approaching from sea or, uh, let's, get, let's get at this. This is all in Guantanamo. Capture assault teams approaching from the sea or the vicinity of Guantanamo City. Capture militia groups which storm the base. Sabotage a ship in the harbor. Large fire. Okay, this is all, this is all to attack us in uh, where we were stationed in Guantanamo. Sink a ship near harbor entrance. Conduct funerals. This is, the, this is a big one right there. Just sink an American ship near the harbor entrance over there and then conduct funerals for mock victims. Pretty much empty coffins give eulogies for people who did not die to be able to tug on Americans' heartstrings. Uh, sink a ship near the harbor, yes. Uh, United States would respond by executing offensive operations to secure water and power supplies, destroying artillery and mortar emplacement, uh, uh, yeah, emplacements, which threaten the base. Commence large-scale United States military operations. You could also do a remember the main incident could be arranged in several forms. 
okay? Because remember the main, uh, that was a pretext for going on in there and starting that, that Spanish-American war. That was a, a very, that was a coming of age moment right there. I mean, false flags are nothing new. But uh, this was at a time where we were really, the, the presidency was becoming imperial. We were really getting farther and farther away from the republic that was destroyed uh, during the Civil War, farther and farther away. And now we're getting into the imperial, the age of the imperial presidency with our gallivanting in the Philippines and elsewhere too. And this is also the emergence of yellow journalism. This is when you have the, uh, the Pulitzers and whatnot and um, the Hearsts in New York. You have the yellow journalism wars where it was the real emergence of sensationalism to be able to outsell each other at the, the newsstands, but also to affect policy. They knew that a war would be very, very good for business, and they helped sell the U.S. Maine, the USS Maine. And they, they brought us a Spanish-American war. So um, so big things here. They wanted another remember the main incident. This is how it could be arranged in several forms. We could blow up a U.S. ship in Guantanamo Bay and blame Cuba. That's number one. Number two, we can blow up a drone, unmanned vessel anywhere in Cuban waters. We can arrange, uh, we can arrange to cause such an incident in the vicinity of Havana or Santiago. As a spectacular result of Cuban attack from the uh, the air, that's this weird print, from the air or sea or both. The presence of Cuban planes or ships merely investigating the, in, uh, the intent of the vessel could be fairly compelling evidence that the ship was taken under attack. The nearness to Havana or Santiago would add credibility, especially to those people that might have heard the blast or even seen the fire. The U.S. could follow up with an air-to-sea rescue mission covered by the U.S. fighters to evacuate remaining members of the non-existent crew. Casualties listed in U.S. newspapers would cause a helpful, ra- a helpful wave of national indignation. Number four, we could develop a communist Cuban terror campaign in the Miami area, in other Florida cities, and even in Washington. Now, remember, that included the blowing up of of a commercial airliner off the tip of Florida, Miami, that area. They were actually thinking about that too. And this was being presented to President Kennedy, who for all of his faults, all of his vices, uh, everything, all of his bad habits, uh, walked on out of it. And he rejected the U.S. Air Force support for the uh, CIA's Bay of Pigs invasion, too, and and this, among other things, was just uh, a bridge too far. He was uncontrollable. And I I wanted to turn, it turns out that Robert Kennedy Jr., JFK's nephew, was just talking about Operations Northwoods on a podcast with Aubrey Marcus just a couple of days ago. I want you to, to listen to this. It's eight minutes long. We'll get through a few minutes. I think all of it is pretty cool, but take a listen. What's interesting is the people who place so much trust in the government, imagining that the government always has our best interest in mind and wouldn't do something like a PSYOP, but then open for plain sight, thanks to the freedom of information, is something like the Operation Northwoods proposal, which your uncle rejected. Operation Northwoods proposal being that 
they were going to launch terror attacks and attacks that they blamed on Cuba to draw us into war with Cuba, if I understand the Northwoods yeah. papers correctly. And John was like, no, fuck that. We're not going to kill Americans to try to get us into war. Right? My uncle and the Joint Chiefs proposed Operation Northwoods to him, which would involve killing a lot of Cuban American civilians in Miami. They were going to plant bombs at... Um, you know, at shopping centers, et cetera, in order to blame it on Castro to give us a pretense for invading Cuba. And, you know, the, the people who were proposing this were people like General Louis Lemitzer, who was the head of the Joint Chiefs of Staff, uh, Curtis LeMay, you know, these people who had been uh, um, the, uh, the stalwart, you know, heroes of World War II. And here they were, you know, in the Oval Office, telling my uncle you know we're going to we're going to kill americans in order to um to to uh create a pretense for invading cuba and he didn't comment he walked out of that meeting in the middle of it in the middle of the presentation and he said i think it was to arthur schlesinger but he famously said as he was leaving and we call ourselves a human race you know, he uh, he realized that he was in, he was surrounded by people who were determined to go to war, who saw not a, a war with the Soviet Union not only as inevitable uh, but desirable. And they, you know, they their justification was we got to go to war with the Soviets before they catch up to us. You know, um, before they close the missile gap with us because we had more missiles and more bombs than them at the time. And, you know, in one presentation, they did the math to my uncle. They said, because my uncle said, how many people are going to die in this war? And they said, well, we're going to kill 130 million Russians and we'll only lose 30 million Americans. And that to them was victory. Well, we'll, we'll take out 120 million Russians. And we'll only lose 30 million Americans. Can you imagine? Can you imagine doing those projections and saying, this is a great ratio. This is great. And even for the other side, 120 million Russians with 100, what? You, you just, it, it, these are civilians. It, the bloodlust, the bloodlust is insatiable. And my uncle was like, you know. <laughs> Are you kidding me? So, uh, uh, so you know, he had been in war, and he also one of the advantages of having served in World War II is he was, you know, he was the captain of a PT boat, um, but they were um, that he he shared the enlisted man's skepticism and cynicism about the about what they called the salad brass the upper brass the brass with all the you know the salad mm -hmm. on there you know the the metals etc right um on their on their uniforms and so and you know if you're an enlisted man in uh in the navy in the pacific you're constantly questioning what your bosses are ordering you to do sure because a lot of it makes no sense when you're actually on the ground and you're being ordered to do things that make you know make no sense so he came out of world war ii and out of the specific with a not with a reverence for the upper you know brass but with a real skepticism toward it so and then two months into his president presidency um he they the same guys came in and convinced him to go into the bay of pigs 
Nixon had planned the Bay of Pigs, but had been smart enough not to execute it. So they had trained almost 2,000 Cuban, you know, I guess you, you called freedom fighters or mercenaries, depending on what side you were on, but they had trained them in Guatemala and Florida and Texas and Louisiana, and they had armed them. They were mainly, a lot of them were idealistic um, people. Some of them had served with Castro in the revolution and then become disillusioned with him when he turned, when he embraced, openly embraced Marxism. Others were members of Batista's army who were not good people. You know, they were, a lot of them were killers. They were torturers and snipers. But there was a wide range of people in that, um, in that brigade. And the funny thing is they, they use some Cuban uh, sharpshooters to try to kill his uncle, too. They missed their marks. They missed their marks, but they were part of it. Uh, there's more to this there. Like I said, it's an eight-minute clip. I just want to give you about just about half of it. And, um, and let's just be clear about something here. Uh, Northwoods wasn't the last time that this kind of thing was suggested. It was just one of the, pretty much the, one of the last times that it was rejected by a president until I have to imagine Trump because they tried to get Trump to, uh, to, to, to start new wars in Korea, in Iran, uh, that, that John Bolton freak with the, uh, the, the push broom mustache. Even wanted to start, uh, he started saber rattling with Venezuela. You remember that for a little while? So that didn't work out. We'll see. But you just can't deal with presidents like the, you can, like they did with uh, JFK. So it's, uh, they took a different route. But uh, another thing to, pu- to pull away from this while we go into the second half is that the latest generation of these freaks are still running the show. That's why when you hear about what they were willing to do during the Cold War, um, you never put anything past them. You never put anything past them. We, r- we truly mean nothing to them. And, uh, and with that, we will be back to take your super chats and uh, have a couple other things I wanted to do one other topic change in the second half and maybe some calls before this one ends on a Monday night. Don't go anywhere, my friends. We'll be right back. It's intermission time, folks. Time out. Press the like button. Thank you. Quite frankly. 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 Qu
So, so, you know, I, I think that when we, when we go through history and incidents, events like tonight, very, you know, high impact events in history, like the, the ones we do tonight, that is where a lot of my, and I know yours too, anger and frustration comes from when we get mired in these, these spats with really low functioning uneducated dolts who who just who take the the gender thing they take the 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 the, the clash of the sexes they take the environmentalism and the feminism they take all of that shit they take the bigotry hurling and all the 1619 pride they take all of the low-hanging fruit trough feeding crap and they make it their lives and they don't realize that these this is the history they need to understand because if they understand this history then they understand why they're being taught crap because they're being they're being they're they're carrying water for the real butchers they're carrying water and they're giving cover to the real butchers of history and it just shows just how little integrity people are being left with because just I guess most people think that they're going to have some sort of a payoff at the end. But um, if you know anything about hostile takeovers, especially in, in, in leftist authoritarian regimes, the people who helped the autocrat get to where they are, they are the ones who go first. They're the ones who go first because they're useless and because they're going to start wondering where their pay is. All right, and, and let me stress, they're useless. They've been made useless. They are nothing but point and click mobs. So I just wish that they would pay attention to this and we can start really bridging some gaps and have some people come to the light a little bit here because this is the, this is the real telltale sign of who's in charge. All right, let's go on over to our super chats. From Nicole Fernandez. Nicole Fernandez tipped me a very generous tip over on Rockfin. And I thank you so much, Nicole. Um, so generous of you. She says, I love the show, Frank. Thanks for all that you do. You'll never have to thank me. It's a uh, an honor. An honor. And please, email the show anytime. Quite frankly, podcast at gmail.com. I don't know how to ha- thank you more. Tonight's brought to you by Nicole Fernandez. Thank you, Nicole. 
Over on QuiteFrankLySuperChat.com, Jezeru says, thanks for all that you do. Thank you. And you're also now a part of the Brave New World Book Club uh, raffle. Kobe Shumway says, hi, Frank, just trying to get in on that book. Great. I'm glad to have you here. Uh, Geezers says, author Edward F. Imhoff sends greetings. Paperback writer starts singing paperback writer to me. Uh, let's see. This is from over the weekend. Wuhan Cat says, your show with Kyle Serafin was so great. I just loved his idea of naming his next son John Connor. I loved it so much that if my next boy is a boy, I'm going to, I'm going for it too. Uh, if my, if my next is a boy, I should say. If my next boy is a boy. My next, my next is a boy. If there's going to be another John Connor out there. Let's raise a whole generation of John and Sarah Connors. We're probably going to need them. JC. Flange Deep said, here's a super chat to get me into that running for your copy of Brave New World. Thanks, Frankie. Happy birthday, sir. Later, skater. Oh, I'll take that. I'll take a, uh, I'll take a belated birthday any day of the week. Thank you. Remnant Farms says, ciao, Frank. Happy Monday. Just wanted you to know you made me laugh out loud several times today. These ridiculous times. We're all thinking it, but nobody quite puts it into words like you. Thank you for the laughs. Sincerely. That's, that makes me feel good. When people say, I, man, I had a really rough day, but you got a couple of smirks out of me. Sometimes a smirk is all you need. All right, over on Rumble. Jerry Coogan says it's time a Scotsman won the book club book. Well, hey, I would love for you to, to, to win it. Uh, Burn, Burn, uh, Burn DeBaldi says let your representatives know to oppose the Restrict Act and repeal the Patriot Act. Wouldn't that be nice? Thank you, Burnda. Thank you so much. NJSF says the reconstruction of the final phase of the economic hitman model after the jackals did the work. Yes. And I'm glad you picked up on it. And I'm, you know, NJSF is very well read from what I know about him in the, uh, in the book club and, and in the, the Gilded. But yeah, if you have not read Confessions of an Economic Hitman by John Perkins, you need to. It's a quick read. I even have a copy of it on my uh, my iPad Kindle app. I have a physical copy, and I also just have it on the Kindle app. I keep sometimes I keep um, digital copies on the Kindle just for quick reference. You need to read it. You really should. Maybe that could be an in-between book club thing. Who knows? All right, all right. So we'll love to have more of you guys call on in in a little bit we have more to do though you don't want to miss this next thing don't want to miss this next thing over on quite frankly tv the wonderful gold pills paulie 9363 thank you thank you c blanche thank you sean joe boys blanc and jesse 81138 and robert sarns rounding it all out at the bottom of the order thank you so much now here is a little something I'm going to throw out, it is Michael Knowles. Michael Knowles was at a, uh, I guess he's on a, a college tour. These guys over there at the Daily Wire, they do a lot of these types of tours. I, I, you know, it must be really fun, to be honest. 
I always wanted to be able to speak in front of a classroom. I've been able to do it once now. My history professor from college asked me back in 2000, maybe 15, 14 or 15, to come into my old, my alma mater and speak before his new emerging media class like the history of the media because he wanted somebody to talk about the internet and streaming media. I said, oh, I can do that. You know, we, we were there for a lot of it, trying new things out when streaming started, talk about life casting, talking about uh, Twitter, and, you know, I, I rolled out the whole timeline, how 2008 was the real changing of hands where social media was the thing that really drove a presidential election for the first time. And then, you know, that was a couple of weeks, a couple of years before 2008. 16, which was the year that the mainstream media was gone as far as credibility and as far as their ability to naturally move the needle of public sentiment. Uh, they, they have the, the ability, obviously, to inflame people and, and, to, and to inflame old wounds and things like that. But as far as public sentiment goes, just wasn't the, the case. But that was really fun. I wonder how, I wonder how people uh, liked it. I got a couple of questions that day. But I'd love to just sit down in front of a class and just talk. Answer questions. So it must be fun to do these things, to get out there in front of a packed auditorium. But anyway, Michael Knowles does this very well. He's going in head-to-head with a girl, some activist college chick gets up there and wants to talk about transgenderism throughout the ancient world. She starts off by wanting to, well, you'll see. All right, here's a five and a half minute clip. It is totally worth the whole five and a half minutes. Enjoy. We will uh, stop along the way, perhaps. Hi, Mr. Knowles. My name is Kat, um, and I have a question. And before I I state my question, I just want to honor that we are all standing on the land that belongs to the Ojibwe Anishinaabe people. uh, Thank you for mentioning that. I meant to mention that at the beginning of my speech, but I'm (laughs) glad that you Dakota, Northern Cheyenne, um, and they have been here for time immemorial, and so that leads into my question. Yeah, what about the time immemorial before they were here? Like, everybody, you know, these subversive red diaper doper babies, they love showing up and knowing that in on this plot of land, before we came and developed it, okay, um, and, and created every, the, the society that she obviously really indulges in and loves and wouldn't, wouldn't change where she is in one way or another. No way. She's not, she, this one's not living in a teepee. I love how they always just take, as long as we just take the people here or were here immediately before this version of society, that's good enough. Because, of course, the people that they took it from, that's, that's inconsequential. It's all about being subversive now for brownie points. So um, you make the statement that transgenderism must be eradicated from public life entirely. And so I'm going to ask you a question about that. But prior to that, I want to just state that for 5,000 years B.C., Gala transcribed and androgynous trans priests of Sumerian goddesses have been around and noted. 200 to 300 years before Christ in ancient Greece, there were gods worshipped by Gali priests who wore feminine attire and identified as women. Um, Since we are standing on Anishinaabe land, Turtle Island, which is the nation that we live under, um, has Uh, had two-spirited people. I don't live under Turtle Island. Right, well, maybe you should read a little more indigenous knowledge books. Um, Uh, Yeah, I'm going to go get myself an indigenous knowledge book. 
Yeah, I'm going to hang out with my friends on a Friday night. You guys want to come by and, and do indigenous knowledge trivia? Oh my gosh. You can tell that she's really amped up the, the adrenaline because that, you know, you've, you've had that happen before too, right? Where the adrenaline is coursing through you and, and you really want to snap back smooth and you say something really lame like that. Well, maybe you should get some ind indigenous knowledge books. Okay. Is there an indigenous knowledge section at Barnes and Nobles? Just tell me where I should go. And indigenous communities have used two-spirit uh, personas for the in entirety of their culture. And so that leads me to my question. When you say that transgenderism must be eradicated from public life entirely, I ask you, Mr. Knowles, how can we eradicate something that has been here as long as humans have? Well, yeah, there have been all sorts of crazy, terrible ideas for a very long time, too. You, you, you're pointing to civilizations that committed human sacrifice, okay? You're saying that some ancient pagan tribe worshipped demons and therefore we need to castrate children. That's not a good argument. Yes, that's true. There were all sorts of terrible tribes. In fact, as recently as a little over 500 years ago, the Aztecs here in the Western Hemisphere slaughtered 80,000 people in a sacrifice to one of the demons that they worshipped within the span of four days. That's not a recommendation of doing that. I don't think that we ought to consider it. Though, unfortunately, in our increasingly pagan and liberal culture, we do commit human sacrifice to the tune of 800,000 babies a year sacrificed through abortion. And it would make the Aztecs blush what we do. But, but that doesn't make it the right thing. You refer to a notion that is increasingly popular on the left, which is the idea of the two-spirit among various indigenous tribes. That is not real. That is a contrivance of white liberals in America. There have been various conceptions of sex and gender for all of human history. Now, I, I, I want to just say right here, as we're two and a half, we're halfway through, watch her face. Watch her face. Obviously, she's coming from a, a very ignorant place. She's trying to appease her own tribe right now. There is a lot of signaling going on. But watch her eyes. I think, I really do believe at times here she starts to get it. I don't think it's, it, and, and don't, don't take me as saying this is she left there a changed woman. It won't last long, all right? This is like post-nut clarity. It doesn't last long. Because you know all of your friends, your teachers, your your extracurricular, uh, the cl uh, clubs that you're in, and things like that, you have surrounded somebody like this who talks this way, who uh, goes and formulates questions and kneels before past you know uh, tribal nations that that were here and does all those things and genuflex in all those ways. That is a lifestyle. It's going to be very hard for someone like that to take that cloak off and walk into the sunlight and and be changed very hard especially when she goes back to her friends and they all reinforce their old biases but i really do think i really do think that he got her thinking a couple of times here uh, but but the, the idea of the two-spirited uh, indigenous intuition of some modern transsexual living in New York City who's a man who very much desires to be a woman, that is a complete fiction. You will not find that in literature dating very far back. Uh, so what does it say about the question itself? The question, regardless of what the ancient Sumerians believed before they chopped up little, little kids or whatever, is, is it true? Can a man really be a woman and can a woman really become a man? We all know that the answer to that question is false. That's why Professor McCloskey pulled out of our debate at the last moment next week, because even a distinguished professor knows, he has the intelligence to know, even if he is transgender identifying himself, that he can't win that debate because the idea is indefensible. So the question becomes... 
how does, how does one know that someone with the total physical appearance of a man, how can one know that that person really is a woman? Do you have an answer to that question? How can, you're, to clarify, you're asking how can somebody know if they are a woman? And how can I know if that person is a woman? If, if not by the physical attributes, their natural and enduring biological sex. What's the alternative to that? So my, my response to you is then a question of what is the purpose of knowing another person's sexual, well, sexual see, there, there identity? Or per, but let me finish. Yeah. If it's not for the premise of reproduction, hmm? no, and there's no, no, no. there's no need to relate, outside of that, then I don't quite understand why we would need to question or... So this, or is, what, this is what happens whenever you ask a transgender activist to explain even the basic premise of the movement is they'll immediately say, well, who cares? Why, why are you so obsessed with this? I'm not obsessed with this. I'm not the one who started sending men into the women's bathroom and taking away their trophies and castrating kids. I'm perfectly happy with the way things have worked for thousands of years. It is the transgender activists who are trying to upend everything. And so I think it's, it is at least my right to ask the question, okay, what is the premise of your movement? But they always deflect from that. They always withdraw from the debate. They always try to change the subject because there is no answer. So you ask me, well, what's the purpose of, why, why do you even care? What's the purpose of knowing someone's biological sex? Well, for starters, because we have civil rights specifically for women in the United States. We have special bathrooms for women. We have special sports leagues for women. We have all sorts of special places and rights and privileges and, and that are for women that are not for men. So so if now some men, people who at the very least appear to be men, are claiming a right to go into those women's bathrooms, then they, we either have to abolish all of the special rights and privileges that have existed for women for all of human history and are enshrined in our law, or they need to explain to me how those men are actually women. And they can't do the latter, and I'm not willing to do the former, and I don't think women across this country are willing to do the former, even if a few people have been so ideologically blinded that they, that they would give in to this kind of an absurdity. Man, I, like I said, it's not going to last long. But you, you saw the eyes, right? There's just, I mean, he's, 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 he's brilliant. I wish we can get him on the show again. That'd be great. But um, stuff like that is very satisfying. And it made me want to pair it up with this. Now, here's a uh, blog from New Zealand that I tend to like. Haven't gone there in a while. And when I went there today, this was waiting for me at the top of it. VJM Publishing, for those who have seen beyond. The Battle of the Now. Nothing is anything versus some things are something. Okay? It starts with a, a screenshot from 4chan with that Mulvaney guy there. It says, why are you Nazis so afraid of seeing a woman on a beer can? Beautiful women like Dylan Mulvaney have been used to sell beer for decades, and men all love it just because she has a cock and balls. And a 5 o'clock shadow doesn't make her any less of a woman than you bigots. So anyway, here is the response. I think it's really great, and I think a lot of what is in this blog was just displayed in that exchange on that college campus with Michael Knowles. The Western world seems on the brink of civil war. The factions appear to be two completely different conceptions of reality.
reality or how to approach reality. One faction contends essentially that nothing is anything. Their opponents assert that some things are in fact are something. Uh, as with many historical battles, it's fundamentally a battle of masculine versus feminine. And again, we just had Michael Knowles versus the, the, the female trans trans activists. And you can see two psychological approaches to a problem. All right. And, you're, and I think it's, it's, just, it's just a perfect pairing. The feminine side states that nothing is anything. No truths can be known for certain. All is flux, therefore nothing is permanent for long enough to substantiate its existence. Because nothing is certain, there is no point in being too strict about borders or boundaries. This side is what Alan Watts used to call gooey people. The masculine side, by contrast, states that some things are something. There are such things as objective truths, and they can guide our lives. These truths are often fixed ideals. Such people often react with outrage to Nietzsche's suggestions that there are no moral truths. This side is what Alan Watts used to call prickly people. In the clown world of 2023, these are the battle lines of the culture war. The feminine side has no issues with the trans phenomenon. If nothing is anything, then women are not exclusively those with double X chromosomes. Therefore, femininity is a matter of what gender you identify as or which gender you represent. Trans people are whatever they say they are, and the rest of us have to follow along. The masculine side comes into opposition with this view. To the masculine, gender is fixed. It is more or less fixed to sex. Men are men and women are women. It doesn't matter what you identify as because there's a determined and objective reality which itself reveals what you are. Thus, there is a particular bathroom to which you belong and one to which you don't. A similar situation exists with nationality. To the ideologically feminine, nationality is like a mask that can be put on, taken off, and replaced at will. It's possible to become a member of a different nation simply by living there. Such a view sees no contradiction in having two or more passports and claiming to belong to more than one nation. To the ideologically masculine, Nationality is rooted in blood and soil, and therefore, even people who have lived in a new country for 50 years aren't members of the nation, although their children might be. Nationality, like gender, is fixed and, is fixed and not fluid. It is comprised of kinship links that are as real as family ties. In fact, this division is replicated in attributes to bio biology. The feminine, reject, the feminine reject biological determinism preferring to believe that anyone can become come anything if given the right environment while growing up. Success is primarily a matter of will, and natural talents can be shaped in virtually any direction. This ties in with the modern globalist mindset. The masculine, by contrast, reject blank slate theory. They support he um, hereditarian, uh, hereditarianism, hereditarianism, sorry, they support hereditarianism. The masculine approach ties in with the modern nationalist mindset because it's concerned with the long-term effects of immigration of the nation's genetic infrastructure. When the some things are so, when some things are something, it tends to be permanently that way. They say, complicating matters. Sometimes one of the two sides is more correct than the other. For instance, the masculine side is right when it says that the intelligence is mostly genetic, but wrong when it says that mental illness is also mostly genetic. 
As such, it airs toward exclusion. The feminist side, for its part, is right when it says that mental illness is mostly environmental, but wrong when it says that intelligence is mostly environmental. As such, it airs toward inclusion. Those who cannot overcome that inherent, entrenched masculine or feminine bias are why public discourse has now degraded to such a low level. Rather than talking to uncover the truth, people now talk to further the interests of their team. Those with strongest biases are incapable of even perceiving their opponent's position. The correct course of action is to stop thinking in crude, black and white terms and try to develop some intellectual nuance. It's the yin and the yang. Masculine thinking is useful when it's necessary to delineate and to discriminate, and feminine thinking is useful when it's necessary to draw similarities. To have bias toward either, uh, to have bias toward either is a cognitive weakness. In order to psychologically survive clown world, it's necessary to stand above forced artificial battles that are designed to destroy your will and waste your mental energy. The simplest way to stand above is to not get sucked into inconsequential masculine versus feminine debates that have been created by the mainstream media. Try to be, as the Confucians say, the unwobbling pivot between yin and yang. So that is where inside of inside of the yin there's a drop of yang inside of the yang there's a drop of yin and you have you have this uh just that little thing uh, that old thomas jefferson quote that i love in matters of principle stand like a rock in matters of style swim with the current you know to have that flexibility to all but to also be tethered you know uh we have had both natures of ourselves split apart in order to create this war between men and women and uh and, and that's just really what it is it, i think that's what makes the the gender slash sex war so frustrating um it turns uh, it turns men a lot a lot of men it turns men into apes because they double down on on just the unthinking rigid way of looking at things which in some cases are good, especially when you are in a survival situation, there's, you know, whatever. That's why you go to your tools and your toolbox and you dig, dig down deep and you grab what you need. But it also makes people unable to be, to listen to. On the other side, women get lost inside of this kaleidoscopic uh, reality where anything is possible and you get lost in the creative side and at the same time because you're fighting a war against this other side that is you know patriarchal and they're coming after us all that you also have to try to find a way to be physically imposing and in the same way you become a not so convincing diet male you know that's that that's the thing about feminism is it creates like diet men like men like zero calorie men. I, I don't know what it is. It's just so fucking annoying. And it makes everybody uh, annoying. That's why the balance is good. And it's not, not you know, I don't know. I don't know. I, I think Michael Knowles has, has good balance. That was pretty good balance. I mean, Michael Knowles is an actor. Um, he's very well read. He's, uh, you know, he likes, it, it's just one of those things. Whereas the other person is the unbalanced washing machine that is stuck on spin cycle and it's just banging across the ba- basement floor because you only have one thing you have one mindset and um and it has been installed there it has been installed in your uh in that bio computer of yours it is a new operating system and it is a shitty one so 
with that, it is 8.32. I'm going to take a little break. When we come back, I want to hear what you guys think about that balance of yin and yang or anything that you wanted to bring up from the first half of the show. And I'll get to your super chats as well. The number is 914-595-6953. I hope you don't go too far. We will be right back. Credit for one thing. You have because to give them credit. They're out in the open the now. They're out in the open now. They're not even trying to conceal it anymore. The owners of the country have to, they bought their elect, got their election. They said we're going to get this election. We put you people in that court for a reason. Right, now it's time to, to pay earth us. for you and now. Yeah, forget all that stupid. <laughs> will you? Hey, uh, you they're out in the open. They're open. No. They're openly driving the bus, and we're all in the back. There is no. There is no national conspiracy to buy elections and control America. Now that's talk about back to earth. Conspiracy, but you don't need a formal conspiracy. Right. When interests converge, these people went to the same universities and fraternities. They're on the same boards of directors. They're in the same country clubs. They have like interests. They don't need to call a meeting. They know what's good for them. It's a they're getting it. And there, there used to be seven oil companies. There are now three. It will soon be two. The things that matter in this country have been reduced in choice. There are two political parties. There are a handful of insurance companies. There are about six or seven information things. But if you want a bagel, there are 23 flavors because you have the illusion. You have the illusion of choice. Right. You don't get the real important choice. There's no freedom of choice. Wow. So you would rather be singing sea shandies with the boys than spending time and having sex with me? I swear, you never have any time for me. What is your... Oh, problem? I bid farewell to the port and the land And I paddle away from brave England's white sands To search for my long-ago forgotten friends To search for the place I hear all sailors end as the souls of the dead fill the space of my mind I'll search without sleeping till peace I can find I fear not the weather, I fear not the sea I remember the fallen, do they think of me When their bones in the ocean forever will be Let's take, a, so let's take some calls, 914-595-6953, plenty of subject matter to jump through, so let's see what comes on through. 812, you're on the air, who's this? Frank, it's Mike from Evansville, Indiana. Hey Mike, welcome to the show, how you been? Good, I just, this is more topical than uh, just what was on the show, but uh, I don't know if you're aware of a movie that just came out this weekend called Nefarious. I've heard a couple people suggested it to me. I also got another wait. I also got a suggestion to go watch the, uh, a new Renfield movie with uh, Nicholas Cage. 
I don't know. I don't know what that's. Okay, I've heard of that. I've also heard there's one now called the Pope's Exorcist. But what the one that really got me was because uh, was this nefarious because apparently it comes from a history of a weird things happening on the set, somewhat like happened with Mel's Passion of the Christ, uh-huh. where you know Jim got struck by lightning. Things like that have happened. It seems like the devil does not want this movie to be seen. Wait, nefarious. Uh, so nefarious. Th- this is a. This is the exorcist. What is this? An exorcism movie? Well, the, a guy. The, the premise is there's a man who's condemned to death in Oklahoma at eleven o'clock at night, and he has one last interview with the psychiatrist who could rule him non couples mentis. He, he can't be killed. Okay. But. Instead, the guy who is actually possessed by demons does a number on the the guy who came into the guy who came in to inter, interview him who seemed to have all the control. It basically, it's, it's okay, so, so okay, so you're you're saying that the the condemned man is actually possessed by demons, and he is the one he actually takes advantage of the psychologist, psychiatrist. Oh yes, yes. Okay, he, he That's uses a... him to. It's an interesting presence. The interplay between the two. Well, it's an interesting concept and a premise. So I, I want to, uh, I'm going to put that down on my book uh, in my, well, in my uh, my to-do list because I was, I did see about the um, the Pope's Exorcist. I saw about that. That's the new Russell Crowe movie about uh, Father Amorth, Gabriel Amorth, and right. we, we talked a lot about Father Amorth on this show when he was still alive, and I, you know, it's a funny thing is that I was just about to read, I, I went about a chapter in, I was rereading that book of his, An Exorcist Explains the Demonic. It's a, it's a shorter yeah, book. Yeah, I have that at yeah. home, and I was, uh, I was just about to go pick it up and read it again. Leo Zagami sent me a article he just put put out there warning against how the Jesuits are out there uh, trying to present this movie uh, in their own very very way and, and misrepresenting the story of Father Amorth because of course uh, uh, okay. yeah. Yeah. yeah I thought that I had heard something like oh this movie was put up pre- pre- pretty much to take people away from seeing Nefarious well, that, didn't didn't they up. didn't they cast Russell Crowe as as Moses and and made made him look like a, a nut job or something like that? I don't. Oh know no, not Moses. That. Noah. Noah. He was in the Noah film, though, right? Yeah, I just don't remember. I haven't been following that stuff lately. I've been I've been following uh, people who really seem to be fervent Catholics themselves who are making the film, uh, like well. Mel Gibson. Anyway, it's uh, it, it's uh, it's it's it'll be interesting. It's definitely something I want to take a look at, and I'll I'll uh, I'll write down nefarious now too. Thank you so much for the call, my friend. Have a good one, and let's go to four eight zero. You're on the air. What's going on, four eight zero? Hey Frank, it's Rosie. Lizzie. Rosie. Rosie. From Gilded. Rosie. Hey. Oh, what's going on? Oh, is this your first time getting through? Well, technically no. This is my landline, and you have me stored. Um, with another name that I used a long time ago because I was so afraid. Well, now you're, now I just stored you as Rosie from Gilded. Well, welcome back. It's been a long time, no matter what. So what's on your mind? Okay. We saw Nefarious this weekend. Mm -hmm. It's really good. It's 
kind of, well, it is a reflection of society now, but in a horror movies, you know, realm. And the left is freaking out about it because all of these horror movie junkies, and of course the critics hate it, are pissed because they feel like they got hoodwinked. How, how like, so? <clears throat> without spoiling it. I don't know how to do it without spoiling it. They use social issues as a way that the that Satan is doing his work today. Ah, that's very nice. Very nice. Yeah. yeah. It's it's definitely interesting. There's I could go into more like there's only one thing I don't like, but I won't mention it. Okay. I'm sure other people will pick up on it, but I highly suggest it. All right, I'll have to. Yeah, I'll it's have to really watch good. this one alone. It ha- it has a horror horror feeling to it, so I won't be able to watch it with Lauren. But I'll definitely watch it. I, I don't know when I'm going to do it, but I have to do it soon. Yeah, it's in movie theaters. You have to like really hunt to find a movie theater that's playing it. So I don't know if there's any place in your area, but there was over here in Arizona. But anyway. That's it. Thank That's you. What I got. Thank you, Rosie. I, I I like that. I like that, and I'm glad that you called in. And now I have you stored. So thank you so much. Not a problem. Talk to you later. All right. Bye. Take care. Rosie from Gilded got through. She must be very accomplished, and she did very well. No reason to be nervous. Nefarious, huh? Yeah, I had this over here. I was going to save that maybe for tomorrow. The Leo Zagami piece that he sent over to me. Who is this? Exclusive. Here it is. How Father Amorth, the Pope's exorcist, was hijacked by the Jesuits for a Hollywood horror movie. So I'll read into that tomorrow, see how, how it plays. Maybe we can use it for the show. But Nefarious, I got to look into that one. All right, let's go uh, 914-595-6953. I'm just looking to the Gilded. I can't wait to get the, the Gilded call-in lines up and ready to go. 847. Let's take a call from across the pond. What's going on, Jerry? Crank. Hey. Hey. How do we do? Everybody knows, first of all, that uh, if you're going to drink alcohol, it should be scotch. That's a fact. I'm with you. Beer is not. Yeah, beer beer is, you know, you have a beer when you're about to go football training or whatever, but uh, if you're going to drink properly, it's got to be scotch. But um, going back to the earlier part of the show and some of these weirdnesses that were taking place and all the people that are buying into the fake narrative, and it's, it's bizarre that you featured George Carlin in the break there, because as I was watching the first part of the show, I was just thinking to myself, remember that joke that George Carlin made? Um, think how dumb the average person is. And then remember that half of the population is even dumber than that guy. I'm losing you. I'm losing you. I heard the joke. The, think about how, how dumb the average person is and then, and then those who are even dumber than that. Uh, but I'm losing you as far as the audio goes. You're getting broken up. Yeah, by, by definition, half of the population is dumber than the average guy, the average dumb guy. And I saw a statistic there the other day <clears throat> that's... Uh, Apparently, 40% of the population have got an IQ below 86. 
And I suddenly thought to myself, that is where democracy goes horribly wrong. Oh, yeah. Because if you are, a, a, you know, a market research industry and you're looking at the, the polls and, and you're thinking, what appeals to the most... Well, you know, Jerry, uh, what I got, what I, 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 well, the the the, um, the audio quality is not getting much better. But what you did bring up right there is something that I would like to bring up one day. I I think that we had touched on it in just uh, in general conversation on this show years ago. But it does does stand to reason to discuss the bar to entry to vote. What 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 is voting? Yeah. You know, I mean, you say, okay, well, you want to keep people away from the polls. You know, that has very racist connotations. It was only white landowners. Well, well, let's get rid of uh, let's get rid of uh, race for a second here. What kind of skin does a person need to have in the game uh, to be able to go and 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 vote? What what should they be? Is it is it cognitive tests? Is it basic civics tests every time? Uh, is it uh, is it land ownership? Is it business ownership? Is it what what is it? Because this whole one person one vote thing, and we are so woefully stupid, and we are so we we have no autonomy. Everybody is voting because they think that something is going to be. Get, if everybody was out there voting to to make sure that whatever they are earning on their own is not touched i mean this uh, I, I don't they i mean this would be a whole new ball of wax but the real issue is people are voting because they believe that they are going to get something out of it something is going to be given to them uh there are people out there who don't want to who want less taken from them of course but by and large modern american and world politics is driven by what a person thinks they are going to receive as a benefit from giving their vote to somebody and that right there is just a recipe for nothing good nothing at all this is why it's so important to get right down to the local level because at the local level you can have some idea of the real character of somebody who might be smarter than you but you can tell whether they, they are moral people whether they've got integrity because i think most people can actually suss that out um and and, and therefore you need to have a thing that goes from the ground up and gradually the people that you've entrusted with with representing you they will then uh, get together to appoint the person in the next tier up and so on instead of having this top-down thing which we've got where a head of state is practically untouchable uh, whether it's an american president or a king or whatever um uh, that's the top or the world economic forum or the european union these people where did they come from who are they representing there's no morality involved there there's no judgment of character and i think people who are maybe not you know the sharpest tool in the box i'm not you know that's the way god created them i'm not criticizing them for that but if you just get millions of people coming out to the polls then the dumbest person that's entitled to vote is cancelling out the vote of somebody who has spent years studying 
Oh, oh yeah. Oh, it's the lowest. It's the, it's the lowest. It's the lowest common denominator. And thank you, Jerry. I have to wrap this one up a little bit here. Um, yeah. It's the lowest common denominator that they're appealing to because they yeah. are the, the the most plentiful people, and they all have a vote. And because you're uh, now the game is how many of the lowest common denominator of each side can you attract to the the polls? The people who are out there campaigning and the, that have the most money thrown behind them, they are developing the most simplistic pre-digested platforms for people who aren't really thinking about the implications. You know, when, like I said before, and again, thank you for the call, my good friend. Uh, when, I, when I said before, after that uh, State of the Union, how, how, whether it's Joe Biden up there reading his speech or Donald Trump or, or a, uh, anybody else from any of the two parties, there is a sentiment there where you have a little bit more of a forgiveness. Everybody forgives their side a little bit more. They rah-rah, shishkumba their, their side a little bit more when they say, we want to firm up our infrastructure and we want to get all of our highways and our, 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 you know, our light rails out there and we want to fix our bridges and our airports and we're, we're going to fix this and that. And we're like, yeah, yeah, our guy really wants to make the, the you know, really ship shape. Where this house is going to be shipped shape, man, we're really rebuilding this country. And then anybody else who knows a thing goes, well, you can't do that. You shouldn't be touching airports. You shouldn't be touching roads. That's not yours. That's not your responsibility. You're not supposed to be doing that. That's bullshit. That's because you, and it's not just because, well, because the rules say, because you know why the rules say. You have read the arguments as to why the rules say that why responsibility should be from the ground up and mostly delegated to local decision-making. Why that should be. Why keeping influence local as decentralized as possible is better for people by and large. If you understand that, then you sit there and something like the State of the Union is a horrible night regardless of who's up there. It's a real horrible night. You might get a couple of like, oh shit, did you see that moment? You know, like, you know, you're watching reality TV and you get a couple of moments just to say, did you see that? Did you hear that? Oh, shit, I can't believe they did that. Oh, man, that's low. I mean, it's just, it's all just, it's all just bread and circus. But for the most part, that's what it is. Low is common denominator. And the, the it's low. It's low. So uh, it really, really comes up, really comes up for debate with me a lot inside my own head. What is this? You know, what is this? And to Jerry's point again, you get to talk to people on a on a local basis. You get to you you run into somebody in a local uh, uh, luncheonette somewhere. You're going to go pick up a a, 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 a cheesesteak sandwich. You see somebody you haven't seen for a while. You kind of know from family affiliations how they vote and what they think. You've you've seen at least 15, 20 years of everybody's social media posts now in your life based on that you know exactly how they lean or what they avoid and whatever and you can just build a a psychological profile on people we that's how long we've been spilling our guts on the internet that you without even knowing somebody you know them enough in ways that you never thought you would to know to avoid certain things or to embellish on others and whatever and and regardless of what they show face to face you can get down to a person's common sense. And I mean, I've had conversations with my father who is a 
I guess, a bleeding heart liberal. I don't think he knows why, though. I guess just because he's a, a, a gay man from New York who loves Broadway. I, 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 that's really all it is because I don't fucking understand, and there's no, there, it's very non-confrontational. You do what you do on the Internet to show people your allegiances, and then there is, I don't want to talk about that. No, no, let's change the subject. No, let's not even, I, I, I hate all that shit. So you don't even know what's going on. So when you avoid it all and you talk to people one-on-one, especially people that you know would vote for a Democrat just without even thinking, you start, you like, in my mind, I can't tell you how many times I wanted to say, you know, you are, you're a pretty conservative person. You know, conservative. All this, and just personal situations. Who has a responsibility to what? What needs to, you know, where, where the, the boundaries are between them and somebody else? Who should pay for this and not that? And the, I mean, you, you just see all that where the common sense exists for most people, where they see what's fair and what isn't. And then all of a sudden, you, when you expand it out just a little bit more, a couple of more layers to the onion, and they lose all sight of their common sense, and they don't see how it relates at all. And when you put them in a group, like I say, you know, when you expand out from the individual to the state, to the country, I mean, once they start thinking on behalf of all people, now they have to think on behalf of all people, they become a fucking idiot. Idiot. And they don't see how the bad decisions you make in your personal life, they all have consequences that you have to deal with and you have to sort through if you make trouble for yourself. And that's bad enough. But when you apply those bad decisions on a nationwide scale, you know what that means, those consequences? It means the fucking end of time. It really does. It means the end of the dollar. It means the end of everything that you grew up with that you thought was always going to be there. It means the end of being able to just say what you want. They just don't see the daisy chain, how it all connects, and people just lose it. So they keep it very, very, very you know very simple very stupid they keep it very stupid and both sides fall for it because really what is a what is a uh, a a democrat and a republican always really looking for they they're asking for the same things nobody's asking for social security to go away nobody wants medicare or medicaid to go away they wanted to get smarter more efficient it's it was not designed to be that way if a Republican came along and said, we got to get rid of, we got to sunset all these programs, you think he, he would even be allowed on the stage? No way. No way. He wouldn't even poll uh, higher than 5% with Republicans. So, um, yeah, it's, it's just, it's one of those things. And I guess that is, a, again, where, where the masculine versus the feminine thinking comes in. If I'm going to tie something in to make this make sense. I think everybody's a little bit more masculine thinking and dare I say a little bit more balance between the two, the closer to ground level you get, the more intimate you can get with a person in conversation and really dig deep into what, what's real in their life and where they want to go and all that stuff. And then you get a lot more feminine as you start thinking for, because uh, you, you have to start thinking maternalistically. How are we going to take care of everybody? How are we going to take care of the world? We are the providers of the world, the protectors of the world, too, especially in America. That's where this all just really flakes apart. But that's all for me tonight. It's 9 o'clock. Thank you, Jay Brewskies. 
over on Gold Pill. Let's see. Linda Love says, hi, Frank. If I win the book, I'll read it. But I just want your autograph. Did you? Well, then don't go into the super ch- into the, the gold pills. You have to get into, quite frankly, superchat.com or else I'm not going to be. This, that is the one place that I consolidate everybody. If you want a chance, Linda, drop $2 into the other place instead sometime before Friday because that'll, that ain't going to work. That ain't going to work. All right, what else do we have? That's all. That's all. You've been wonderful to me, ladies and gentlemen. Thank you, Stostu, for another wonderful tip over there on, quite frankly, superchat.com. And again, to Nicole Fernandez on Rockfin for her generosity tonight. Thank you all. Tomorrow is another day, and I hope that you go over to quitefrankly.tv to enjoy yourselves for the rest of the evening. Because it is Mystery Movie Monday, though there is not that much of a mystery to it. It is the final installment of the Daniel Craig 007 series, No Time to Die. If you've been watching since Casino Royale, I think you're actually going to really like the end. I liked it. I know some people were here and there. I thought it was pretty good. And, you know, it's really just about keeping your eyes open and seeing what else is being told to you about everything. All right, everybody. Good night. Good night, and always remember, that's... Quite frankly, is filmed before a live studio audience, and now our super chatter, starting with Stostube, Remnant Farm, Jezeru, Kobe Shumway, Geezers, and Wuhan Cat. Thank you to all of my friends over on the Rumble chat, with all of our Rumble rants there, and to all of my wonderful friends on QuiteFrankly.tv. I am releasing the scratching right now, and I hope to see all of you in the chat for the feature presentation and more tonight. Good night.